The nail in the coffin! The Nail in the Coffin, a Cleveland sports podcast. I am Tom Valentino, and I am joined, as always, by the one and only Travis Uli. Trav, how you doing this week? Never better, my man. How you doing? I'm great. Thankfully, there were no incriminating videos of us partying in the club that have surfaced this week. So here we are, ready to report for duty with episode number six of the podcast. We're recording on Tuesday night. Uh, and after going 100% Browns-free in last week's episode, we were so looking forward to doing it again, uh, but then we got the latest chapter of As Berea Turns this afternoon, so we're going to get into all that uh, quickly and then hit on some stuff with Ohio State, the latest college football playoff rankings, and finish up with some Cavs. First, the usual disclaimers. Uh, be advised that we occasionally let a four-letter word slip out here and there, and if this is your first time listening to us and you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. All right, that out of the way, the big news coming out of Brown's World Headquarters this afternoon is that a week after announcing that Johnny Manziel was going to be starting the rest of the season, we now find out that he is not going to be starting the rest of the season. In fact, he's not even going to be the backup. He's been demoted all the way to the third string because of his uh, partying shenanigans during the bye week last week. So, Trev, um, I, th- I think this is probably the end of the Johnny football era in Cleveland, right? Yeah, I gotta think we've probably we can probably take at least two things from this. One, Johnny won't be here next year. Two, Mike Pettin probably will be. You have to think. Um, I've thought all along Ray Farmer kind of goes as. Manzel goes so wouldn't be surprised if he's gone too um considering his track record outside of Manzel I wouldn't say that that's unwarranted either um but yeah I mean it's it sends a pretty strong message you you literally had what four days from when they announced him as a starter to when they said no forget it we're scrapping that idea because you're an idiot basically (laughs) it's unbelievable isn't it I mean they literally I had a bad feeling about this last week when they were, I heard the interview with him on like the last day before the team cleared out for the week and all the players were allowed to go their separate ways. And you're just expecting, okay, here, this guy has been named the starter and he's going to be on the straight and narrow and he's going to do it right. And already he was talking about how, he wasn't going to be watching any extra film on his own. And he only does it with the other quarterbacks at the team complex. And it it just seemed like he was already trying to position himself as being able to do all his usual stuff. And it just like, my God, this, this, it's not good. And then you heard the press conference with Petten this morning before they made the official announcement and just some of the words he was using uh, about how disappointed they were and whatnot. And then the real nail um, the nail in the coffin, right? There it is. <laughs> uh, the Browns uh, state radio, uh, in-house radio show there on KNR this afternoon. I wasn't listening to it, but I saw people on Twitter saying that people on there were absolutely blasting Johnny football. And when the team run radio show is trashing a player, I think the writing's on the wall. So an hour after that, I mean, let's be honest he was not going to be quarterbacking here next year anyway. He, I mean, he had a, the, the slimmest of chances of changing that. Um, if he did start six games, they would have been hard-pressed if he played well in those six games to get rid of him, whether that was something that they were leaning towards or not. But I think when you have a guy that has like made you look stupid this many times and you go to him, and despite all of that, you still give him that opportunity to be your starter. And it kind of seems like Petten probably went to him and said, hey, we're giving you this. Lay low. Don't screw it up. Take it easy. You got a bye week. Do what you want with it, but don't make us look bad. 
don't be stupid. And like he literally had to go three days without it, and he couldn't do it. He, yeah. he lasted barely 24 hours. It, it's it's just boggling that, uh, to my mind, that he just he doesn't get it. And he, which is weird because I don't like him. I don't. I, I don't. I think he's kind of a punk. I think that's a general theme, but I don't think he's stupid. He seems like a pretty smart guy in general. But just listening to him talk and the way he kind of carries himself, like with the media and stuff, he's very savvy in that respect. Was it really that necessary to go home and go out and get shit faced and make a bunch of stupid videos? Like one day after you said that that you weren't going to do that, he just doesn't get it. No. And I think that's the, I think that's sort of where they're at. It's like we don't want to get suckered in. It's kind of a smart play on the Browns' part in that they don't have to give him the option or give him the opportunity to go out there, play really well, and back them in the corner where they maybe do have to bring him back. Yeah. Uh, you and I talked a little bit after we got done recording last week, and I think I mentioned this to you then. I didn't have a problem with them naming him the starter at that point just because I kind of felt like this whole idea of let him learn by watching I think wasn't working anymore, and I think he had it in his head that anything that was happening on the field, if the if the team wasn't playing well or if the quarterbacks weren't doing well or anything like that, it was, well, it would be better if I was out there. It would be different if I was out there. I could go do my thing. And I felt like he had to learn the hard way. And in a, in a different sense, he's learning the hard way again because, you know, it's like you said, don't screw up for three or four days while you're gone. That's like all the demands we were so little, like they were so low. That's such a like, low bar. What he had to do is it's nothing. Right. It's, it's the easiest, like most simple of requests. Yeah. And he couldn't do it for a day. I wouldn't have had a problem with him. He was at Ohio State for the game on Saturday. Yeah. I would have had a problem with that. But yeah. one day, that's all you, you had to go one day and he couldn't do it. Yeah. So for the same reason that at least for football reasons, I was okay with him learning the hard way and getting to play the rest of the year. Uh, I'm also totally fine with them doing this now today with uh, pulling the plug on him. And I, the point that you let off with about Mike Patton, I don't know that he's going to be back next year just because I think if you bring in another general manager and you restructure your front office, they're probably going to want their guy. And I think if you draw the line in the sand as the owner and say, this is our coach, I think you're going to severely limit what's already a pretty shallow pool of people who want to come in here and run your football operations at this point. So if, but I do think it's super interesting that by all accounts, and if any writing you're reading on the wall, it seems like Petten's been the guy and the coaching staff collectively have been the guys all along saying that they don't really um, want to play Johnny Manziel. They don't think he's ready. They don't think he's an NFL quarterback. And all the pressure was coming from the front office. And for them to finally come out with this unified front today, it kind of feels like Mike Penton just maybe landed a knockout punch if he had a little battle going there with Ray Farmer. Yeah, I think the one thing that um, the one thing that makes me think that Petten could be back is that if he wasn't going to be, I mean, I feel like if if Petten wasn't going to have that authority or whatever to pick the to pick who plays, if they were going to get rid of him or if they were planning to get rid of him with a new GM, they would just make him play Johnny. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's he would he would go to them and say, hey, do you want me to win now? I don't want this guy here, blah, 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 whatever the case is. But I feel like by allowing him to bench Johnny, they're kind of giving him that vote of confidence. Do you I, think there's any validity to that, maybe? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I definitely think Mike Pettenstock had a very good day um, just by where they're at right now and, and the fact that everybody else in that front office seems to have finally come around to what the coaching staff was saying all along. I still think the coaching staff's got some work to do. And, and I, I think the assistance you could see, especially in the defensive side, some shakeups after the year, but 
I, I thought there was zero chance Pettin was back next year before. Um, but now, yeah, I, I think you make a pretty compelling case that he's at least got a puncher's chance of surviving this and getting a chance with a new quarterback next year. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think they might give him another chance. They might even ride out Farmer for another year just to see what Pettin has, maybe. Um, which could be horrible because he you could have Ray Farmer making the first pick in the draft for you, but that's terrifying. Um, that's a horrible idea. But <laughs> I guess the last thought I have is, where do you think do you think Johnny Manziel's on a team next year? Yeah. I, I think there are a few guys that are going to be floating around next year and he, he ain't going to be starting anywhere next year, but you look at a guy like Johnny Manziel, Robert Griffin, the third's probably going to be a free agent, Colin Kaepernick. And seems like he's on a how, one way ticket out of, how was he in that class? Oh, I'm not saying he is. I'm just okay. saying these are guys that have some name value around the league and you have those, there's always a, a pile of quarterbacks every year last year it was Josh McCown and and a bunch of other stiffs basically and I think this year there's going to be a scrappy quarterbacks again and he's going to be on that and somebody's going to be dumpster diving looking for a project and thinking I'll tell you this I don't think there's any way they can trade him because no no no, nobody someone maybe throws like a seventh round pick just so they don't have to deal with like possibly competing with other teams. If a team's interested, I might, I wouldn't be surprised if they throw like a super late round pick just so they don't have to compete for him. But yeah, yeah you're not getting anything of real value for him. No chance. Yeah, I, and honestly, if they could get a late round pick, I'd consider that cutting your losses pretty well at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, agree. All right, we've already gone way longer on that depressing dumpster fire in Berea than I had envisioned. So. Uh, let's move on to another happy topic. Um, your, your beloved Buckeyes. Uh, you, you were in Columbus over the weekend. I was. It was a did, rough evening. Did, did you end up going to the game or did you just no. watch it? No, I went to, uh, I went to my favorite spot, Eddie George's. We had a pretty good spot there. I had a few friends that all met up for it. Um, I tell you, I went out, I went, the, I went down on Friday and we went out on Friday and it was, one of the most like one of the most obnoxious weekends to go to a bar in Columbus that I've like experienced in a long time. For those that don't know, I lived there for eleven years and very familiar with the watering holes around uh the downtown area. You couldn't move anywhere, which is pretty rare. Usually the bars that I was going to are the ones that you have some room to move around. Um it doesn't take you forever to get a drink. It was horrible. So I already had a bad feeling just from that. And then the next day on Saturday, got to the bar fairly early, just hung out, wasn't too crazy. Um, but as far as the game goes, nothing really at no point. I, I, I text two of my buddies like every game. We just go back and forth. And the whole game, I'm saying to them, got to believe, you got to believe. In my head, I didn't really believe it just nothing seemed to go right and nothing really indicated uh, yeah we're going to get going you know we're going to get moving here um, in my heart of hearts I always thought it doesn't look good but they'll turn it around they'll pull it out in the end um, but ultimately wasn't watching how that game unfolded and the game plan they had you can't really be surprised with what came from it I that was just such a bizarre game to watch. And I would love to know what that game would have looked like in decent weather conditions. And let me, let me be a hundred percent clear. Michigan state outplayed Ohio state and they beat them up on both both lines. They beat them up and it was a complete, a lot of times determines those games. Yeah. And it was a complete 100% legitimate victory and they earned it, and I am taking absolutely nothing away from Michigan State. The reason I wonder about the weather conditions was because that was such a weirdly conservative game plan from Ohio State. Just it went so overboard in in the play calling that I just 
I wonder, did it get in their head a little bit? And would they have been, because it just, the whole game, I'm just waiting. Like, you got to take a couple shots down the field here. And they threw two deep balls the entire game. And the one of them, I think, was on their last possession. And it should have probably have been picked off. And I just. They it, missed Braxton. Braxton was wide open on one, and he overthrew him by about three to five yards. First half? Um, yeah. Yeah, Early that was I mean, that was had, the one they should have had. Was no one even close. I, I don't know if they lost main coverage or what the case was, but he was he was wide open, and for whatever reason, he couldn't get uh, JT couldn't make the right throw. But um, I don't know. It's hard for me to just call it conservative because typically a conservative game in weather like that is handed to your bell cow running back thirty times. Yeah, and as has been well documented. Uh, Zeke Elliott didn't get the ball a lot. On no, Saturday. he didn't. <laughs> um, probably cost himself. Um, I think probably after the game, probably cost himself a uh, Heisman invite. Uh, as came out today, he's not a finalist for the Doak Walker Award, which I found, I still find a bit shocking. Um, because typically that running back one doesn't just go to guy that piles up yards. They tend to look at the guy that uh, plays the position overall the best yeah. and as is pretty pretty uh pretty apparent watching that offense Zeke Elliott is one of the best uh, blocking running backs I can recall seeing in in the time I've watched college football um but the game plan itself just nothing about it made sense they needed to either give it to Zeke or throw the ball the quarterback sneak was not working and it was right. a, it was apparent from the very beginning that they were not going to give you that. They'd give you they, they'd let you try other things, but Michigan State wasn't going to give you that play because they know that's that's something we lean on so heavily. Um, but for whatever reason, they would not get away from it. And I think Zeke had two carries in the second half. Um, they Duke Johnsoned him. They they crushed him. Just I mean, he had eight carries on one drive and finished with twelve. Yeah. Like, that's nothing about that makes sense. And the one play that stands out to me the most is that punt they had um, at, like, the 45, maybe, on fourth and one. Yeah. Which goes against everything Urban ever does. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, let's go. Go for it. Give it to Zeke, blah, blah, blah. And then I see the punter out on the field, and my jaw just dropped. I'm like, we're not playing to win this game. Our defense has just our defense is just as capable of stopping theirs, so I didn't I didn't care at all about field position in that in that case. Um, yeah, the Michigan twenty-five State. to thirty that we could have gained by punting just wasn't worth it to me. Yeah, that's a great point because Michigan State they had a I think a couple of decent drives, but I mean at the end of the day they put up seventeen points and they were playing alternating between a second and a third string quarterback and they had no passing attack whatsoever. I mean, they were running like a 90s high school offense for the most part. And to their credit, they made it work because oh, yeah. their offensive line w w was blocking their asses off. But I, like you said, that's, that's a great point. It just they, they didn't that, – their field position there, you could afford to take a shot with that. Say what you want about like overall game plan uh, and who they gave the ball to and whatnot. That one play just – it, it was it was trestle ballish, which I love. Obviously, I'm a huge Jim Trestle fan. So, the but it but it went against like what this team has been built on, how they've been successful. It's never a call. I don't know if you would have seen. I don't want to say that that it's never happened, but I can't recall a time in the last four years where Urban Meyer has punted in that position. And why all of a sudden he decided to? In that case, I don't know. Um, because quite frankly, that's the kind of game where every possession is that much more important and you're not really worried about, um, I don't know. You're not worried about the other team putting like a big sustained drive together, especially with their backup quarterback. You're in a p good position where if you can get that first down, I mean, you're looking at most likely being able to get, put some points on the board. Um, and if you don't, you're only losing maybe 20 to 30 yards in field position, which isn't insignificant, but the way that they were moving the ball shouldn't scare you that much. No. 
and it it, it was just this, um, that was sort of the point where I'm like I I'm not gonna I don't have a good feeling about the game in general um, just based on the coaching decisions I'm not sure if that's if this is gonna go our way and obviously that turned out to be right but the bigger story after the game seemed to be Zeke's comments and I don't know maybe I'm a homer and and he was quickly climbing up my list of favorite Buckeyes um, but I kind of chalk it up to a 21 year old emotional kid who just lost uh, a huge game lost a lot lost more than just the game personally um, but also feels like um, there's actually an old story that Urban Meyer has told a few times where um, I think it was when he was a coach at Notre Dame, and I can't remember who the player was, but they had a very good player on the team, and Urban Meyer said, I went up to a kid after the game, and we had won a very big uh, – they they had won a big game. It was like a, one of those uh, non-conference games at the beginning of the season between two ranked teams, and they'd won the game, and it was, it was a good thing, and everybody was happy in the locker room, and he walked up to a kid who was crying, and he's like – you talk to the kid and the kid's like, I just, I didn't get to help the team at all. I didn't get to do anything to be a part of this. Um, I thought I could have helped and I, I feel disappointed. I know we won as a team and that's good, but I didn't get the help and I feel like I should have, or I should have been able to. And Urban Meyer said at that point, um, I need to make sure that I get guys involved. The guys that need to be involved and deserve to be involved, get them the ball and allow them to make plays, whether, you know, just to make sure that everyone is involved in the game. And I think they missed that opportunity. Um, they The only time they really gave Zeke the ball was on that one drive when they ended up scoring a touchdown, ironically. Um, but that's the guy who got you there. It's not JT. It's not Cardale. It's not uh, anyone else. You look at the success they had last year, and it was all because of Ezekiel Elliott. And this year, those close games they had, uh, they won those games because of Ezekiel Elliott, not because of the passing game. And why they chose to, usually, I mean, like I said, in, in a bad weather game, that's usually when you lean on your big, strong running backs. And for whatever reason, they didn't. So uh, it's not something I'll ever, that we'll probably ever get. A, I mean, Urban admitted as much that it was a bad game plan, and he should have at some point taken over and said, hey, what are we doing here? Um but yeah, like I said, about the comments, it's a 21, 22-year-old kid who heartbroken after a big game like that and doesn't know why he wasn't a big part of it. So I give him a pass to an extent, but it's all around nothing good. It was one of the bigger fallouts I've seen from an Ohio State loss since probably the Florida game in 06. Oof. <laughs> which, ironically, that guy's on our sideline now, but... Yeah, I mean, the way that everyone was just like, I mean, I don't want to say there was finger pointing. Um, there, I mean, there obviously was some, but just the way that everything after the game, it was just bad after bad after bad after bad. And the guys, Urban Meyer's 48 and four. We're coming off a national championship. We're not going to go undefeated. Um, but you would have thought that the sky was falling. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Let, let, let's look forward here. Ohio State, it's Michigan week, and theoretically they're still alive for the Big Ten East Division title and by proxy maybe still having a shot at getting into the playoff. What do you think the mood is like down there, and, and how are you feeling about their chances going into this weekend? Well, I will say that... Um, one thing we learned between uh, 2000 and 2001 was it makes a big difference if your coach gets the the rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan. Um, after the game, the first thing I did after the game on Saturday myself, um, I, I hate to be like the nerd who's posting on Facebook or whatever, but I just said beat Michigan because that's what your mind has to turn to immediately because that's all you can control if you're Ohio State. And a couple people, one of our mutual friends who will remain nameless, says, <laughs> oh, this game doesn't even matter. And that's, like, that's some, to me, that's that breaks my heart. Like, you're not really, if you say that, you're not really that big of an Ohio State fan 
you're just like casual when they're good. I'm excited that they win and stuff, but you know, whatever if they lose, no big deal. Season's over. No, beating Michigan is still a big deal. Um, I understand the last 10 years have maybe taken some of the luster off of it because it's been so routine. Um, but it's a big deal. And I think Urban Meyer gets it. I think the guy in Michigan gets it as well. But I think Urban Meyer gets it, and he's focused on that all year. He hasn't let that uh, fall to the wayside in terms of like the bigger picture. I, I like their chances. I like their chances last week, obviously. But I think they're still far more talented. I think that maybe last week woke them up a little bit with the offensive game plan, too. So I feel incredibly optimistic. I think they'll probably be more vo- motivated than Michigan because Michigan has essentially zero chance um, of doing much of anything. Mm, uh, not not exactly. They can go I, to the I, Big Ten championship game. I don't think they can get in the playoff. Um, honestly, I, I think their odds are as good as Ohio State's right now. I, I, I think they're in a pretty much the exact same position. So basically, just to clarify this for everybody who's listening, if Michigan State beats Penn State late afternoon on Saturday, they clinch the East Division. They'll, They'll play, play Iowa. Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. And the winner uh, the following... of that presumably has a playoff spot locked up. Right. Now, if Michigan State loses to Penn State, then the winner of Ohio State-Michigan will go to the Big Ten Championship game and play Iowa. So if you would look at that point at Michigan's resume, I think beating Ohio State and beating Iowa in back-to-back weeks on top of what they had earlier this year, I, I don't know that it's a great chance and it might open the door for Notre Dame to get back into the playoff, but... I think they have a at least a shot at it. Um I think it's I think I think I think it's a very slim chance that they would be able to get in at that point because I don't think you'll have enough um I don't think you'll have enough teams that lose to get behind them. Um I think a two loss Big Ten team won't jump. Obviously we'll just assume that Alabama and Clemson went out. It may not be a fair assumption because crazy stuff happens, but let's just run off of that assumption and say that there's two spots left. You're not going to lose. Um, you're not, they're not going to knock off Stanford or Notre Dame or uh, I think probably Oklahoma is going to stay ahead of them. Oklahoma state, if they beat Oklahoma, I think would jump back ahead of Michigan. I think a two loss team would struggle to pass any champ from one of the other conferences with one loss or fewer. Yeah. So I think if if the if if the champ from every other conference only has one loss, which it looks like that's probably um, probably possible, I'm not gonna say likely because I remember 2007 uh, West Virginia and uh, Missouri breaking my heart on the last week of the season. Um, crazy stuff happens. Um, I don't. I just don't know if two loss. If there's a two-loss team, I don't think it's going to be Michigan to be the one that gets in. But you're right, beating Michigan or beating Ohio State and beating Iowa back-to-back weeks in this season um, might be as convincing a victory as anyone else would get in two weeks. So it's definitely possible. I think it's probably unlikely, though. Man, 07, I hadn't thought about that year. And that I specifically remember that night with West Virginia and, and Mizzou. I was at a bar drinking with Len Barker the old English pitcher. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Friend of a friend of a friend at a uh, birthday party. And um, I was watching the games with large Lenny Barker uh, at a, at a bar watch, watching all those games unfold that night. So I hadn't thought about that in years, but it's funny. My buddy and my buddy and I were talking about this past weekend. We were sitting at this, actually the same bar. We said we were at this last weekend. Um, and we're sitting there, and we're like, all right, we just need Oklahoma or Pitt to win. One of the two. And I believe Oklahoma won first. I want to say Oklahoma beat Missouri first. And so we were all excited. And then we looked up, and the more unlikely one, because Oklahoma was a better team, and everyone thought they were gonna beat, uh, that they were going to beat Missouri. 
but everyone looks up and Pitt is about to beat West Virginia and we're like no no we don't want LSU just lose this game please whatever you could do and Pitt ended up winning it and we're like god damn it because <laughs> we just knew at that point I mean Ohio State we knew we weren't really that good um and we knew if we went up against LSU, it probably wasn't going to end well for us. We had a chance, obviously, but loved our chances against West Virginia. And that fell to the wayside. Yeah. yeah. That was you, a pretty crazy end of the something crazy there. <laughs> end of the season, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, I guess something like that could always happen again. But, you know, just getting back to Ohio State and, and their chances, you laid out a very good case as to why – as an Ohio State fan, you should still care about this game in a vacuum, all other outside factors not mattering, because at the end of the day, this is the Michigan, Michigan. game. Yeah, that's but all you need. Make no mistake, Ohio State, they do still have something to play for here, and I think there was a huge overreaction to everything that went wrong against Michigan State, and you look at like the betting line and how had that game before the Michigan State game, there was like an early line out that was saying Ohio State would be favored by six versus Michigan. And then after that, like the opening line for the week, it was, well, they're still favored by two and a half. And then immediately and everybody jumped immediately, in. On, yeah. yeah, and then Michigan's favored. I'm sorry. I, I know Ohio State had a bad week, um, but they're, they're still – They've still got all those horses. They've still got that talent. And now they've had their nose bloodied a little bit. And they had that loss. And I think you're going to find out a lot about where they are as a program, especially knowing that they've still got something to play for here because I do we know what's going on with Connor Cook, the quarterback at Michigan State? They're Last saying I he might heard, be out again. Yeah. From what I heard, he might be out again. And Yeah, last I had heard, I mean, he was still – being listed as day-to-day and i gotta tell you something i mean it's a shoulder right yeah they that okay just clean up for a guy who i mean he's not gonna beat you with his legs he's yeah. better to throw the football right and michigan state going into that ohio state game that was the biggest game of the year for them if he wasn't if if there was any chance at all that he was able to play he was gonna play in that game and if he wasn't good enough to play in that game I don't think a shoulder injury for a quarterback is going to heal enough in one week that he's suddenly going to be able to play this week. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's not playing against Penn State this weekend. And if they're in a situation where they got to run the backups out there again, that's not an automatic There's, win for them. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, it's still unlikely, but I think people are kind of assuming uh, – just assuming a little too much. This is one of those games where I think you could you, you could see a Penn State team, and particularly a uh, Christian Hackenberg, who you've been expecting to see all year. I don't think anyone expected Penn State as a team to be that great, but they've got a quarterback who everyone has been saying has all the tools and he's ready to put it together. And we at, at times it. he's looked okay, but we haven't seen it. But... It could be, I mean, it could be one of those situations where Michigan State used up all their emotion last week um, and could get caught up in their own press clippings a little bit this week and maybe take their eye off the prize a little bit. I don't I don't think it's impossible that, that Penn State wins that game. It's it, Like I said, it's probably unlikely, but I'm not, I'm not of the camp that uh, – the result of our game on Saturday isn't meaningful um, and that it doesn't really matter. Luckily, I think Urban gets that. He's going to earn his contract this week, um, that $5 million he gets, if he can get those guys to show up in Ann Arbor on Saturday. He had a bad week last week, but let's be clear. They had won 30 conference games in a row, right? That was yeah, the number? regular season, yeah. 30, 30 regular season conference games in a row, which I believe is a Division One FBS record in any conference. He's 48-4 and four overall, won a national championship last year, has won two national championships before that. The guy knows what he's doing, and they've still got all those players that are probably going to be getting drafted in the first round next spring so 
Ohio State didn't suddenly become a, a, a bottom feeder here. They, oh, they, yeah. they, they're oh. not a train wreck. They had one bad week. I mean, Alabama had one bad week. And they and, had a bad week against a pretty damn good team. Yeah. It's not like they went and laid the uh, the 2007 egg against Illinois, which ended up being inconsequential. But, um, no, like you said, he's 48-4. and four. Let's not act like, you know, it's it's time to rebuild. Right. We still have as much talent as anyone in the country. We still have one of two best coaches in the country. Um, I mean, he's got the second or the third, I think, highest winning percentage of any coach ever. Not active coach, ever. And like you said, yeah. three national titles. He's 50 years old. He's not like, he's not on the way down. The program's still in fantastic shape. And if somehow Penn State pulls the game off this week, all you have to, you you kind of control your own destiny. Obviously, you don't because you still need Michigan State to lose that game. And we're not going to know about the Michigan State-Penn State result until after because Which that game is kind of glad about. Yeah. They're going to go out there. They're not going to be thinking about that. They're not going to know if the game necessarily matters or not. Yeah. But I think if they're, I think he'll have them up for the game. I think he's probably been uh, uh, been in their faces since Saturday at 8 o'clock when they got in the locker room. And they got some guys out there. You saw, I mean, you saw Zeke, what he said after the game. But that's an emotional kid. He wants to go out there and he doesn't want his last uh, his last Michigan game to be the one that he loses. Um, and I think they have a lot of guys on there that don't want their like lasting legacy to be the ones that not only lost to lost that big game to Michigan State, but you know, people to have the impression that they quit after that. I and totally I agree. Urban, and I think Urban's going to be able to get that out of them. Now, whether that necessarily translates to a win, I can't say for sure. But I think you'll see a team that plays really well. And um, I, I think you could see Michigan play really well, too, because I do think um, I think Harbaugh gets it, obviously. Being a guy that played at Michigan, I think he understands it. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to see a team that comes out flat and isn't excited to play in that game on Saturday. And that's all yeah. you can really ask for at this point, considering the emotional ride they've been through this week. I agree. All right, let's uh, let's shift gears here. We uh, we got our local basketball team back on track, playing pretty well. And you texted me today that when I asked you if we wanted to talk about the Cavs, you said, "Well, LeBron's had a pretty interesting week." Uh, what uh, you've been taking some notes? What have you seen? Well, I think some of, like some of the comments he's been making and the way he, he's been, uh, I, I guess, acting, the way he's been at carrying himself on the floor has been, to some people, it's been concerning. Others think it's strong leadership. I don't know. So I guess we, we didn't talk about it intentionally, so we'd have something to talk about tonight. Um, what do you think of... The little stunt. I don't. I don't want to even want to call it a stunt because he, he let his emotions get to him. He just walked off. But the other day when he got that technical, just storming off the floor after a bad pass. Um. They. I. I feel like. I feel like maybe they made a little bit too much out of it. But I also don't think it's something you can just gloss over as, you know, as just like heat of the moment. It was a boneheaded move, and I think it's one of those things that he would do in November that you would never see him doing in May in a game that they were up by 26, by the way. Yeah. Like they were beating yeah. a lot of them. So that I was, that, that, that was the thing like... that surprised me about it. The most, I guess was just that he got that aggravated to the point that he would do something like that. Given the circumstances, like, like you said, they're up by a bunch of points. Yeah. You don't want to be throwing a bad pass or whatever, of course, but that he would get that aggravated with himself there just seemed kind of odd but i was surprised anything was really made of that it just to me okay it was it was a stupid thing and he even said as much afterwards and it didn't really yeah, went off the deep end and he made a made a mistake i mean he admitted he fessed up to it yeah um he apologized to the guys i think there's always going to be i think it's sort of a curse of having the best player on the planet um 
he's going to have a little more uh, leeway to do that stuff. And it's a very fine line, I think, between being a leader and sort of being uh, immature and childish. And I think, personally, I think he's done a great job historically um, of towing that line. Maybe occasionally he goes over the line, um, particularly towards coaches, but um, he, I guess he, he came out this week that he's scrapped the uh, opening introductions and stuff now too. Yes. Um, he said they're not going to do that anymore. I, I don't really care about that. It's funny. I no. think, I think it's one of those things where if, if they hadn't done introductions the whole time and he said, Hey, we're going to do this now. They're like, Oh, he wants all the attention. And now that it's this, he's like, Oh, he's trying to like one up his coach or whatever the case is. I think, I think he probably just gets criticized for things that, that don't really exist. So, um, obviously, like I said, that's that sort of goes with the territory. But I don't know. I, I think it was sort of being blown out of proportion. But as long as um, as long as he's here, he's not going to have a ton of. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I feel like from the overall theme, he doesn't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt when he probably deserves it. If anyone in the NBA does, nothing he's done this year has really bothered me and it it was interesting i was actually looking at time hop on my phone and it was at this date last year that i had i think i put it on facebook that i was kind of getting sick and tired of some of his antics at this point last year some of the things he was doing early in the year his body language on the court the way some of the comments he was making the way he wasn't hustling and i just i'm not seeing any of that this year his defense, if you look at his numbers defensively, they're actually pretty strong, especially because I don't think he exerts himself on that end of the floor at this point in the season normally. I think he's doing a lot to get his teammates involved, passing the ball around, um, and just uh, I, I think he's he's just carrying himself overall in a much better manner at this point. So anything he's doing so far this year, I'm willing to excuse the the little weird things with like the um, the the the, uh, the taking himself out of the game or making that strange decision with the with the introductions like whatever okay I'm I'm not I don't think that's a big deal little stuff like that I don't mind I think it's it's just him saying hey you know we're not focused enough um, yeah we don't need to be jumping around high fiving everybody before the game even starts. That I don't like. I, I'm not sure why it's even noteworthy, personally. Um, I'll tell you why it's noteworthy. Because they're a pretty well-oiled machine, and they're, they're, they don't have a lot of the drama that they had to deal with at the beginning of last year and, and through most of the regular season last year. You don't have anybody in a real contract situation. You don't have people analyzing and overanalyzing players body language and facial expressions and um, messages and reading between the lines and things that the players are saying in the post game. And is this coach David Blatt, is he cut out for the NBA and just all of the other crazy things that they had going on last year. And I think it leaves a void and at that point, you start looking for things to to start talking about. And that's how goofy things like we have this year end up becoming talking points for a, a day or two, whereas last year you had other way more ridiculous things to talk about. Yeah, I think that's a good, good point. I think the fact that they're off to a pretty damn good start is good, too. I mean, I don't I think it gives them a little bit of leeway where no one's going to panic. I think we did have a little bit of panic last year before they uh, made those trades, and sure. when they were what I think twenty and nineteen and twenty or something when they happened. Yep. Um, I think being in a good spot record wise is just alleviates a lot of that extra like tension or pressure that they might force on themselves. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like for whatever reason, LeBron is the best player on the planet. Clearly, the best player on this team, and he he takes that leadership role and he takes maybe a little bit more on himself and 
by default kind of gives himself the ability to make more decisions than the average player would make. But we, I feel like before him, everyone gets got lauded for that. Like Kobe did that before, and everyone said, oh, he's just a tough competitor, he's a leader, he does all this, blah, blah, blah. But for whatever reason, when LeBron does it now, it's like, oh, he's he's immature and he's all about himself and on this, that, and the other thing. And I'm not sure why that is exactly. Um, but it just doesn't seem like whatever he does, it, it seems like it's going to get criticized for whatever reason. I don't know if immaturity is necessarily the, the thing that he gets criticized for at this point, as much as people like to make the jokes, people outside of Cleveland like to make the jokes that, oh, he's really the guy running the franchise. He's really the GM. And it's, it's little jabs like that. But I, I'll tell you, just beyond LeBron, and you mentioned that they're good records so far this year, I think it's really interesting that just the narratives around the NBA and what people are talking about, and in the case of the Cavs, what they're not talking about, I don't see anybody outside of Cleveland, and I keep up with a lot of NBA people, I don't see anybody outside of Cleveland talking about the Cavs at all. And I think that's really interesting because, yeah, obviously Golden State's doing their thing out west, and that's fine. But here we have the Cavs very quietly. They're 11 and 3. They've had their starting backcourt not play a single minute for the entire season. And now they've got a third starter and their backup point guard who was starting the first, I believe, 10 or 11 games. He's not playing now either. So they're down four out of their top eight rotation players, and they're not missing a beat. They they went out last night and just completely controlled that game against Orlando. And they're playing really well. They had a couple of hiccups on the road. But again, so they lost two games back-to-back, and the Detroit one was especially disappointing. There was no, like, oh, my God, is the sky falling? They just regrouped, handled their business, won a couple more games, and they're moving right along. And you're really not hearing anybody talking about uh, nationally, like, look at the way the Cavs are, are taking control of the East already. And I think that really is something that deserves to be lauded because if you look at the Eastern Conference as a whole... It's not the pushover it used to be. It's not. And, like, last week I, I gave you the numbers about Ohio State and their numbers against the spread. Well, here's my little fun with numbers for this week. Going into tonight, the East versus the West, so interconference games, the East was 38-33 and 33 against the West. And the East has 11 teams at 500 or better, and the West only has six. So the question I want to ask you are... Is the East actually pretty good this year? Obviously, it's still early, so it's hard to tell. Um, early indications are that they're improved. I mean, I, I think at the beginning of the season, everyone knew Cleveland was sort of the class of the East. Um, and then there was, like, a the, the next probably two through six or seven are all very close with Miami, Chicago, Atlanta, Washington, even Toronto was in the conversation. Um, Indiana is up there now. They've got a pretty good record, I think. Um, those teams are all very close. But then you even have like those those younger up and coming teams like uh, Boston and New York, even even Detroit to an extent. I don't think they're that good, but they'll win some games this year. They'll probably beat some decent teams at some point. Um, I think they're a lot deeper than everyone thinks. I'm not sure that those teams would still be able to hang in the West like they are in the East. Um, when you look at the West, I think, uh, uh, I just glanced at it real quick, the Clippers are the seventh seed right, if the season ended right now. Obviously, it's super early. But the Clippers are a game below 500. I don't think anyone thinks that all those teams in the East are better than the Clippers. Um, Maybe not, but I'm going to tell you something. The Clippers are a mess right now. Yeah, they put I, on I a real right. spirited effort against Golden State last week, and then they did the typical Clippers thing where they, they choked down the stretch. Sorry, I, I know they're playing a tough team in Golden State, but they had a chance to win that game, and maybe this year it wasn't quite as bad of a, a clippering as 
what you would consider a, a, a typical Clippers moment in crunch time in the past, but it, it happened to him again. And then after that game, they had all they could handle playing Detroit, and then they got absolutely boat raced at home with a day of rest playing Toronto. And I'm, they've got issues, and, and everything coming out of that game after Toronto, there was a bunch of screaming and yelling in their locker room. Their pieces on their roster, their bench still doesn't look like it's right, even though every year we hear about how much better the Clippers bench is. And no, lo and behold, I, I, I think they're I think they're fools gold. They're yeah, they're, they're the men, Rockets are a dumpster team. fire. The Rockets were another team that was supposed to be considered one of these big time contenders in the West. They've already fired their coach, although I think that was a mistake. But I, I never believed in that team to begin with because I'm sorry if you're relying on James Harden and Dwight Howard to be the leaders of your team, you, you are going to have problems. Trouble. Yeah, if, if yeah, Dwight like how many is... coaches has Dwight Howard gotten fired now? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean that's I, that's 100 valid. Um, listen, the Warriors are great, and and I'm not questioning them. And I think you, know, you got San Antonio lurking there. They're also 11 and three right now. And they're going to be there at the end of the year, and, and you know how they like to feel things out in the early part of the season, and they'll kick games on purpose just because – not to say they're intentionally losing, but they're not going to throw the house at every game early in the season because they know what they're playing for at the end of the year. But I, I think what we knew as the the West in the past – and the other thing I was going to mention when I said that 38-33, and 33, uh, the East is versus the West, the Cavs, who last year played really well against the West, they've only played – two games against the Western Conference so far. So that East has built up that winning record without the Cavs even really contributing to it at all. I think it's interesting. Yeah, let me ask you real quick. What do you yeah. think – I kind of get the vibe that Golden State – like last year I thought Golden State kind of at the, end of the, at the uh, end of the season thrived on the, um, the chip that they had on their shoulder, whether it was legit or sort of fabricated. Do you think they're maybe using that a little bit early? Like they're already playing like the oh we're sorry we were healthy last year and we just beat who was put in front of us. Like they're already like using that us against the world thing. Do you well, think yeah, that maybe was, that wears off by the end of the season? That's what I think we're about to find out because I went on my little mini rant last week about how I was sick and tired of hearing about how disrespected they were. I don't think a week later as they keep winning games and now you've got like ESPN picking up extra games of theirs just to to show them at random times on like a Sunday night so they could follow along with the Warriors and I think nobody's really I think they're moving past that 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 phase where they were this whole disrespected defending champion I think that's done with now and I think we're getting firmly entrenched here, especially as you start looking ahead to their schedule between now and a month from now on Christmas Day when they play the Cavs, there's no team in that slate in the next month that jumps out as saying, like, that's a team that's going to have a pretty good shot of knocking them off. They might lose a game between now and then. They'll probably lose a game between now and then. Just a, a numbers game History if nothing else. Us, yeah. yeah, but if you look at it, I mean – it's not inconceivable that they could go into that game 28-0 and the, the hype train is building for them. So this whole us against the world thing, they're going to have to find some sort of new motivator for them, I, I think, because that, that ship's about to sail. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I feel like they, they keep harping on it and they keep somehow finding a way to go back to it. Eventually, that's going to start to ring hollow with your guys because – if if they're being honest with themselves, all everyone's talking about is how good you guys are. Yeah. You're not well, going to you know, have that much longer. You mentioned LeBron's interesting week. I thought you were going to bring up his comment. I think it was yesterday. That's just another one. That's another Yeah, part somebody asked him in the, in the pregame shoot-around what he thinks about Golden State, and he might have given them another log to throw on the fire just to get him through another couple weeks here when he said that, how lucky they've been with how, oh no, they're the healthiest team I've yeah. ever seen. And it's not, it was, it was a nice a little subtle jab. It was a subtle jab, but can you, can you argue it? I mean, every team they played in the playoffs had significant injuries last year. Um, yep. The Cavs gave them everything they could handle, if not for a horrible, I, I hate to be this guy, 
but a horrible missed call at the end of game one where LeBron went to the basket and ended up going to overtime on when they somehow didn't call a foul. And again, I hate to go back to that. But the Cavs gave them everything they could, um, including that game, without two of their three best players. And clearly we've seen Kevin Love's a different guy this year. Um, I think everyone expects that once Kyrie comes back, that's going to look like a different team. Um, I don't think... I'm, I'm not sure why exactly they think Golden State's so much better this year than they were last year. Um, but I can tell you Cleveland's better than they were. Yes. And nobody really seems to want to acknowledge that for whatever reason. But the fact that they're winning all these games right now with the number of players that they have out and the quality of the players they have out, I think it really says something. And I think if they can get into a series in the finals with Golden State again, and if they can have their lineup intact this time, I think it would be really interesting. And I am not one of these people, and and you could call me a homer if you want, but I'm not one of these people that's going to say, well, you just you can't beat Golden State four times in, in seven games. You look at the Cavs and you look at the way they match up with them, I think they're, they would have the pieces in place to make it real interesting. I, I just there, there are advantages that Golden State has that they're able to capitalize on when they play other teams that I just don't think they necessarily would be able to enjoy, and they wouldn't those those would not be as distinct an advantage against the Cavs given their personnel. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that makes you homer. I think when you look at the way that that series was last year. And you see, yeah, if the Cavs had Kevin Love and Kyrie, or just one of them, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that series looks a lot different. Um, and and like I said, I think Cleveland's gotten better, and I don't know that Golden State has. They've come out hot to start the season, but their roster is essentially the same. Um, and and they are, I mean, they're a jump shooting team. You catch them on a bad night, and you can really go to them. I don't know that you can do that with the Cavs. Um, and regardless of what Steph Curry's doing so far, the Cavs still have the best guy on the planet right now. So until like they come at they they take them down full strength, I, I'm not scared of them. Now that's not the poo poo Golden State's chances. I think they're still a very good team and obviously could win that series. But I wouldn't say that I'm uh, giving it to them hands down. No, and I just. Overall, I think I don't think Golden State. I mean, how much better can they get? Exactly. They they they've got all their pieces in place and they're hitting on all cylinders right now. The Cavs have room to grow still. For as well as they've played under the radar, they they very clearly have room to grow and areas where they can improve and pieces that they can still be adding. And. We'll see. I'll be honest. I think Golden State is one of those teams too that I, I think they're. I think they're. I personally think they're fairly soft. I think if you were to get in there, take a couple shots, knock Steph Curry on his ass, all of a sudden that completely changes the way they play the game. Um, no one's really done that so far, and I, I thought the Cavs passed up some opportunities to do that last year against them, but. I, I think they're a finesse team who, if if you got into a physical like slugfest with them, I don't know that they could go a whole series playing that way. And I think the Cavs have the horses to make it that kind of series if it got that far. Obviously, that's cart way ahead of the horse, but <laughs> that's what I think if they get into a series with them at least. Yeah. Well, we've only got to wait hope what, we get to find out. seven months, eight months. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe we'll find out. All right, so wrapping it up here, hope everybody has a nice Thanksgiving, and hopefully Ohio State can knock the stuffing out of Michigan on Saturday. Um, any plans for the uh, the Ohio State-Michigan game for you on Saturday? you heading back down to Columbus? Or you no, local? no, game's in Ann Arbor this week, so I'll be staying up here. Um, not sure exactly what I'm going to do. Might just watch it at home where uh... – I don't have to spend a bunch of money and I don't have to risk getting in any fights. (laughs) 
Well, you know. Uh, not, see, not... the problem is I'll get, in, I'll get in a fight with an Ohio State fan, just like when I was in Cincinnati. Some guy yeah. will, some guy will say, "Oh, it doesn't matter. This team sucks." Blah blah blah, and I'll spout off like I always do. Yeah, how do you think your buddy in the Johnny Football T-shirt was taking today's news? Oh, he. I don't know if he woke back up. I think he's still passed out. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, a reminder, as always, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher. Got the links in the episode description. And uh, individual episodes can always be found at nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com. For Travis Uli, I am Tom Valentino. We will talk to you again next week. Go Penn State. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> I know, right?